0: Well, y'all can grab a seat, and as you do, uh, my name is Todd Berkey, as I kind of rushedly said, um, as we uh, were doing, an, doing our welcome. And uh, it's a crazy day. I was running over, I was at Southwood uh, for the 915 service there, and it was really kind of a beautiful moment for me. Um, it had been six years, a little over six years, on October 26th, 2013, was the last time that I was on the stage at Southwood. And you're thinking, is it because you're just a bad communicator? I know, I don't think that's it. But what I was there was to get married. And um, and as I was up on the stage. It was just really weird. I was looking down the aisle just like this. And I just remember the, the doors opening wide and, and my beautiful bride, Erin, just beaming with joy. And I just remember standing there going like, God, I don't understand why I get the honor and the privilege to love and serve and lead this woman. Like, that's just... It's incredible. It was just, it was a joyful moment like most, most weddings are, right? And as she was coming down next to her were my sons, Paxson and Preston. And in the middle of that time of celebration, there was also this an undertone, little undertone of sadness. Because a few years before that, Aaron had lost a husband and the boys had lost a father to brain cancer. You know, and And I had gone through loss in my life. And so this joyous moment that was over-the-top awesome still had this undertone of just like maybe some hurt or maybe even some disappointment. that Life wasn't supposed to go this way. And at that moment, it just made me think a lot about Christmas as I was reflecting on that. Christmas time is when we get all excited. And we're like, this is going to be the greatest time. We hit pause and we have these high expectations for things. But in reality, for many of us, we enter into the season and there's this This hurt that might be just hanging out underneath some disappointment that we might be having underneath. I actually, when I was in third grade, I remember that was the first time that I had my mixture of emotions with Christmas. Uh, we were living in Michigan, and uh, let me see here, I think, uh, yeah, there it is. Uh, we were living in that house, and in Michigan it snows, and so it was a white Christmas. And it was a few days before Christmas, and my sister had a friend who would spend the night, and I was up early, and I was down just looking at the Christmas tree, and specifically the gifts, and specifically the gifts that said to Todd, um, and trying to be like, did anybody not do a good job taping? Can I try to guess what's in there? And as I'm sitting there looking and trying to guess what's in these gifts, I hear my sister and her friend come down the stairs and they're talking. And I'm thinking, ha, 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 as any good third grade boy would do, I'm going to scare them. And so I dove underneath with this blanket, this Afghan blanket, and I was underneath it and I just like lay there. And um, I'm like, I'm going to get them good. And they come walking around the corner. I can see out of the blanket and I'm getting ready to go, "rah!" But then I hear what they're talking about. And my sister says, well, I got my dad this gift. And I got my mom this gift, and then I had my little moment of, well, do I betray their trust and just keep listening a little longer, or do I scare them? Well, I decided to betray betray the trust and just keep listening. And I remember I'm, I'm laying underneath this blanket, and she goes, and this is these are the gifts I got for Todd, and I got Todd a book, and she starts listing some other things. Now, there are some third graders who love to read, like that's their jam. That was not me. And I'm like, Wendy, my sister, I'm like, you've known me for how long? And you're giving me a book? And I remember everything going, a book? And I was just all of a sudden, this excitement went to disappointment. I'm like, oh. So then I was waiting for them to leave so I could sneak out. But then I hear my dad's voice. I'm like, oh, no. And he's down, boy. Well, hey, girls, you want some breakfast? And I'm like, oh, he's going to make breakfast. There's like no way to get out from underneath this blanket now, sneakily. So I'm just laying there, and then they start playing catch with, I think it was a tennis ball, or it might have been something else, but they're throwing things back and forth, and my sister happened to miss it, and it passes her, and it lands on this blanket. Well, normally what happens when things land on a blanket, right, it just absorbs the blow, unless there's a Todd hanging out underneath it. It bounces off, and my dad's like, well, that's just kind of curious, and he comes over, and he pulls back the blanket, and I'm like, surprise. You know, and in that moment... I saw rage in my sister. And she said, I'm taking back the He-Man and the Battle Cat. And she starts listing all the real gifts that she had gotten me. And I'm like, I thought you gave me a book. Next day, all the presents from her to me were gone. Um, It's okay. She rewrapped them sneakily into a big box. Totally fooled me. But that was fine. My point being, in that Christmas, I went from excitement. Then I went to this place of just feeling disappointed. Disappointed. And then I was kind of ashamed of my actions for being sneaky. And when I was found out, I was kind of mad that somebody exposed that. And it's just a mixture of emotions. And, and the reality is, as we enter into Christmas, many of us in this room are that way. And we're not that way because it's third grade and we were found out of listening when we maybe shouldn't have been. It's more probably like this. When, when I was in my 20s, I, uh, I was a part of the singleton group. That just means I was single, and uh, what I had always thought would be in my twenties, I would be married, I would have kids, and then I would have this home that would be big enough uh, to house and host my family for my own Christmas, like everybody to come in. Think Clark Griswold, and you kind of got me right. Like I'm just thinking, like this would be awesome. I could just visualize people coming down. I've got pancakes going. This is the smells and the aromas. It's going to be beautiful and awesome and amazing. And I thought certainly that's going to happen in my twenties. Well. 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 29 again, 29 again, 29 again, 29 again. You know, as those years came, every time this time of year I would, I would think about that and I would realize I'm not there. And I was totally disappointed because I was not where I wanted to be relationally. I wasn't where I wanted to be vocationally. I wasn't where I wanted to be financially. And so, even though I would be excited to have time with my family, I would come into the season and I hit it really, really well. And I'm going to guess that there's at least one of us in this room who's probably hiding it really, really well. That you're carrying some hurts and some disappointments into the season. And I just want us to, to talk this morning briefly, as we, we, we're going to look at a really famous Christmas text. But before we dive into it, I just want us to know it really is okay to not be okay at Christmas time. It doesn't mean that you are a bad Christian if you're really struggling. I mean, some of us have, have had a really hard year. We think back of, of disappointments that we've had. We, some of us have, have gone back and said, yeah, I'm disappointed in the same three areas, Todd. Others were, are just coping with loss of loved ones. I mean, this is just a rough time of year. It really can be. And you need to know it is okay to not be okay. You're not a, a second-rate Christian. But I also want to encourage us to understand this, that even in our hurt and our disappointment, we have a God who desires to enter in there. And for us to draw our life value, identity, and worth from him. That he could comfort us in an incredible way and move us from a place of hurt to a place of hope. Like that's the Christmas message of moving from hurt to hope. And so we're going to look at this text. It happens roughly about a thousand years before you where you thought we were going to go. Um, we're going to be in Second Samuel. And we're to be in chapter 7. And I understand that normally when we are in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we are talking the meta-narrative of Scripture and going through all the covenants because it's the Davidic covenant. And it's a beautiful and powerful thing. I want us just to look for just a brief moment though and look at the context when it's actually delivered. What was David going through when it's delivered? So we're going to have three stops. And and don't worry, uh, they're not all equally weighted as far as time goes. We're going to spend more time in the source of hurt and the plan for hurt to hope, then we will in practice. So if you're watching your time and going, Todd, I'm getting hungry. you got to get out of here and you're only on point number two. Just relax. It's going to be a-okay. But with that, let's just dive in here to the source of hurt. We need to understand this. We really do. We're talking about David. He's very famous within Scripture. But prior to this time in Second Samuel chapter 7, we've had 21 chapters to get to know David. So if you were to back up to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and read all the way through, you'd read all about David. And if you were just to make some casual observations of his life, you would realize this. You would realize the first time we're introduced to this guy, his family is hosting a prophet Samuel who's coming to anoint a king. And this is a big deal. And all of his brothers are there, but he's not. He's not. He's kind of this forgotten guy out with the sheep. Remember Samuel comes in and he's like, well, certainly the oldest one here. He, he is the Lord's anointed. And God's like, no. And he goes through the seven brothers and he's like, do you have anybody else left? And he's like, um, yeah, we got uh, David out with the sheep. So he's this forgotten guy. We read further when he's getting ready to fight the big pickle. You know, Dave and the giant pickle that he comes out and... And he's meeting the the troops and he bumps into his brothers. He's checking on their welfare and their brothers just aren't really nice to him. So there's some family tension that David carries. He defeats the giant, which is incredible. We know that he already has been promised to be king. That's just incredible. He has this incredible promise on him and yet he doesn't rush to take the throne, does he? As a matter of fact, he faithfully serves Saul, which is really amazing. Again and again and again, he faithfully serves. Even when Saul says, no, no, I don't like you. And he tries to pin him to the wall with spears. And David has to run for his life. He spends most of his life on the run, wrongly accused, wrongly seen as an enemy to Saul. I mean, think about that. If you were just to look at the circumstances of of his life, you would sit there and go like, I don't know. Is he really blessed? He seems more cursed than blessed. And that's the danger we run into even today when we start to look at people and say, hey, I'm going to judge you based on your circumstances. David was somebody up in this point in his life. As you look at it, he is doing great things. He's honoring God faithfully, and yet his circumstances look really different. And so now he's he's taken the throne, and even that was just kind of a weird, messy deal. But as it came through, he navigates it beautifully, and he is he is the king. And that's when we're going to dive into our text here. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Let me just read these. The king settled into his palace. For the Lord gave him relief from all his enemies on all sides. The king said to Nathan the prophet, Look, I'm living in a palace made from cedar while the ark of God sits in the middle of a tent. I just want us to park there because there's incredible stuff going on. His whole life, all this turmoil, this all running, this this exhaustion, and he has this moment, this time of God-given rest. And what does he do with it? It's thinking about God. He's thinking about, wow, look what he, who he is, look what he has done. How can I honor him? You know, we're, we're ready to bump into at least a day of God-given rest. Well, maybe when we're out and about, people don't want to say Christmas all that often, but on Wednesday is Christmas, and most businesses and operations are closed on Christmas. It's this forced pause button that we take centered around the celebration of the birth of Christ. We have god given rest my question for you and for me is when these times of god-given rest man where where do our minds go Where, where do they go to see for for me a lot of times where this goes is man i start thinking back to shattered dreams i thought by 25 i'd be married i thought by 27 i'd be having my house i thought i thought i thought a lot of times this marker comes up and we let our minds just naturally drift there. Other times we just sit there and go, okay, well, it's pause. I'm always serving everybody else the rest of the year. Like, but this is the one day that I'm just going to rest and do nothing but any, all the things that I want, when I want, how I want. It's the day about me. Maybe you're sitting there and you're just sitting there like, man, I just think about Christmas growing up and my house was not like your house, Todd. There's just a lot of brokenness that was there. And so the holidays roll around and you sit there and say, how am I going to take this God-given risk? I'm going to dwell on all of the hurts and the pains that have happened in the past associated with my family. Or maybe we look at our failures. Or, or maybe we just know it's a hot mess and we say, I'm just to need to escape everything. You know, I, I went ahead and got my Disney Plus free membership and so I'm just going to go ahead and watch all of the Star Wars up until, you know, however I many, is that eight episodes up until this ninth one? Like I'm just going to sit there and just, that's how I'm going to spend my day of rest is just escaping everything because if I stop and engage and begin to think about things it doesn't lead to a good thing or maybe you're younger and you think man you know what all I really care about is gaming." I know that my life outside of the digital world is not what I would hope it's not as fun and as exciting as what I believe it should be therefore I'm going to go and create my alternate reality and just do this I'm just going to escape there or maybe you're an older person who's just escaping there I mean I don't know Where do we go? God's given us a time of rest. Where do our brains and our minds go? David's, it's so amazing, right? His went on to God. Let's continue to read here. So he's thinking about, I want to build this tabernacle for the king of kings. Well, Nathan in, in verse 3 says, Nathan replied to the king, you should go and do whatever you have in mind for the Lord is with you. Now just pause for a moment right there because of the fact that Nathan is not saying, "This says the Lord, I'm making a proclamation. That's not what he's doing. He's just, Nathan is there and he's going, David, man, look what God has done. He has evidently brought you here. So just go and do. That sounds great. So just imagine being David in that moment. I've got my God-given rest. I have this great desire to honor God in a really unique and incredible way. And those around me are saying, Go for it! That's David going to bed. Now, <clears throat> the disappointment's going to hit. Chapter 4 through 7. Let's read. That night, the Lord told Nathan, Go tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says Do you really intend to build? a house for me to live in? I have not lived in a house from the time I brought the Israelites up from Egypt to the present day. Instead, I was traveling with them and living in a tent. Wherever I moved among all the Israelites, I did not say to any of the leaders whom I appointed to care for my people Israel, why have you not built me a house made of cedar? In the first part of this message here, boiling down here, God is saying, and David, I never, I never asked you to do this. never asked you to build me a house. David's excited for it, but God's going to say, I've never asked that of you. And it just really makes me think about a lot of the places where I find disappointment and hurt in my life or stresses in my life and I have to ask myself, man, are, am I disappointed? Am I hurt? Am I stressed out over the things that God has asked of me? Or things just that I want to do? And, and I think about that. Are the roots of our disappointments and things that he's never asked of us. For example, God has never asked me to build a big ministry. I mean, Honestly, I don't even know what a, what is a big ministry. I don't even know what that is. But sometimes we start feeling pressure, like, oh, we have to measure things simply by numbers. But God never asked that of me. What did he ask of me? To be faithful and minister to those that I put in your path. That's what he's asked of me. And sometimes when I get those things confused, I find stress, and I find disappointment, I find comparison. All because I'm not... Sitting there going, hmm, what has God asked of me? What, did, what was so appealing about David in the first place, right? Do you, do you remember? God wanted a king who, had a, who was a man after his own heart. What is God really asking of us? To, to trust him and to image him, right? I mean, that's really what it is. Uh, to trust me with all things, and then as you live your life out, to to image me, to look like me, to act and behave as I act and as I behave, to declare to the world around you who I am by how you live. I mean, that's really pretty simple when you break it down. But man, I think about being married by 25. God never said, that's what I desire for you. He never said, thus saith the Lord. But that was something that I said, oh, that's got to be the most important thing. And so I left myself in these continual stress patterns and disappointments, place after place after place after things that God never asked me to step into. Some of us, we end up, we're just just disappointed that we're not financially where we thought we would be. Again, God hasn't asked us to be rich, right? He's asked us to be a good steward with what he entrusts to us. Well, we sit there and we think about, man, perfect kids. This is a tough one. God never asked Aaron and myself to raise perfect children. They're going to make their own choices. But what he has asked of us is, will you love them? Will you provide them structure, boundary, safety, security? Will you encourage them? Will you do everything that you possibly can to help raise them in a way that they will know, this is, I want to honor God. Will will we do that? Will we be faithful in that? But the the challenge is, sometimes these kids, they make decisions that are outside of that realm. And the challenge is apparent, and you know this, because you love your kids so very much, when you see that, you're like, oh. And we begin to wrap our identity, our value, and our worth In the decisions and actions of our children. And if they're not perfect, we're just knocked to the floor. God has said, no, your role as parent is different. Or fixing people. Man, that's me. I'm a fixer. I I I think about this. If if I bump into you and you're having just a hard time, I want to do all that I possibly can to help you walk in a way that is going to be good and right. Even if you don't want to get healthy. And so sometimes I can sit there and be like, okay, I will continue to meet with you. I'll continue to meet with you. You show no signs and no desire to make any changes, but I want you to because you're going in such a destructive way that I'm going to continue to invest. I'm going to continue to invest. And I begin again to have my value, my identity, and worth tied up in trying to fix people. But my job is not to fix people. My job is to love people, to serve people, to speak truth to people, to encourage people to walk in a way that is good, to give them wisdom when I'm able to do that. That's what my job is. But if they choose to walk in it, that's not up to me. And I can't sit there and have the entirety of my identity wrapped up in that. And so, so many times I find, for me at least, that I find hurt and disappointment in the areas of things that God has never, ever, ever asked of me. Hopefully I'm not, I mean, hopefully I'm not alone in that. There are other sources, though, as we're going into this and we're going to dive into this pathway, and I just want to say I'm going to tread lightly here because all hurts aren't necessarily the same. I don't want you to hear me say, like, hey, we got to point two. And point two, if you just do these things, then life is going to be yippy-skippy because the reality is there are other things that that unfold in our lives that we have no idea about <laughs> where where'd they come from. Ten years ago, I remember walking through the largest loss that I have ever walked through. I mean, I was a shell of an individual would not look at anybody in the eyes. Just was, was gone. And as healing started to come back in, as I was walking through that, what I really needed to do is I needed somebody who was trained to, to help. I needed somebody who was a trained communicator. I needed somebody who, who was willing to invest with, with me. That's what they're trained to do. And I came in with this idea of like, okay, well, I used to be like everything was a level 10. Like I hit these things and my excitement level was off the charts. And now after I've gone through months and months and months of this just sorrow and loss, and I'm coming through, everything just seems muted. Is that my new normal? And working with trained folks, what I found over time, and actually some of these same principles we're going to see as we continue in Samuel, didn't just go to a seven, but came back to a ten. God restored joy in an incredible way. We have a God who is able to do that, but I just don't want to minimize, because I know there are hurts in this room that just going, okay, I'm aggravated that you're even talking about it. You just need to know it's okay to not be okay. It's also okay if you need somebody to walk with you during that time. That doesn't mean you failed as a Christian. I needed to be reminded of that as well. So as we're going to dive in here now, or continue to plug along, if you will, there's a little pathway that we're going to see here in 2 Samuel. Let me just read 8 through 17. God is still speaking to Nathan to go deliver this news to David. So now, say this to my servant David. This is what the Lord of hosts says. I took you from the pasture, from your work as a shepherd, to make you leader of my people Israel. I was with you wherever you went, and I defeated all your enemies before you. Now I will make you as famous as the great men of earth. I will establish a place for my people Israel and settle them. They will live there and not be disturbed anymore. Violent men will not oppress them again. As they did in the beginning and during the time when I appointed judges to lead my people Israel. Instead, I will give you relief from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that he himself will build a dynastic house for you. When the time comes for you to die, I will raise up your descendants. I will raise up your descendant, one of your own sons, to succeed you. And I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name. I will make his dynasty permanent. Skip on down to 16. Your house and your kingdom will stand before me permanently. Your dynasty will be permanent. Then 17, happy Nathan gets to go and tell David all these words that were revealed to him. I mean, just think about that job. Oh, hey, David, man, how'd you sleep last night? Man, I couldn't sleep. I was so excited. I was all about that. Like, this is what I think we need to do for God's place. Yeah, about that. Let's have a little conversation. And he walks through this. But there's some really beautiful things that we see here. The first thing you see God just go through and say, man, just, David, I want you to embrace your position. He doesn't say, say to the king of all, the highest of all. He says, no, no, say to my servant. David, your position is servant. I'm in charge, you're not. And so he's encouraging David to come through here and just say, hey, during this disappointment, you're going to sit there, you want to be frustrated maybe, you want to run all these different ways, but instead... You're my servant. I'm in charge. Trust me. There's some freedom in that. When you're not the one who's, who's in charge, who has to figure out how do we respond to all these things. I think of some of the mission trips that I've been on in the past. Things will unfold, and those who are in charge of the trip, the, the leaders, the, they're the ones who are like, we've got to figure out how to navigate this. Most of the time, the rest of the people are just kind of blissfully ignorant because they're like, we just trust the leadership. There's something really great when we come around and say, you know what, I'm not the owner. I'm willing to lay that ownership down and say that you're in charge, God. I don't understand why these hurts have happened. I don't understand why this, went, why this unfolded this way. But you know what, I trust you. You're God and I'm your servant. I'm going to embrace that. It's Not natural though, is it? You know, when a hard time hits, the nat- what's the natural thing? We know what that is, right? Like, ugh, this is not how it's supposed to go. I have done this, I have done this, I have done this, I have done this. I look at all these things I've done and how dare these things unfold to me. We make the focus ourselves and God is trying to woo him and say, listen, David, embrace your position. You can trust me. But he doesn't stop there. He continues, right? He says, not only embrace your position, but he says, look at my work in your past. This is what the Lord of hosts says. I, I took you, David, from the pasture and from your work as a shepherd to make you leader of my people, Israel. Man, I was faithful in all that. I was with you wherever you went, and I defeated all your enemies before you. Isn't that incredible? David, if if you're feeling disappointed, remember your position. But David, don't forget, look back and see I have been faithful. I have given you incredible things. So when you're dealing with some hurt, just look back and see. Again, I stand in awe. At 40, I thought for sure I would never be a father. I thought there's just no way, I left that with the Lord, like, okay, like, you want to use me in a different way? That's totally fine. And then as I look back, though, God just is just showing off behind the scenes, and all of a sudden, meet this girl via eHarmony, who's living in College Station, Texas, while I'm in Santiago, Chile, like, what? And as God just brought that together with these two incredible boys that I get to call my own, it's just, I'm like, that's... Mind-blowing. God, you, you are so faithful. You were good even if you didn't give that. But I can look back and I can see moment after moment after moment after moment where there's been disappointment. And he has turned it and he's used it somehow for his glory. David here is encouraged. Look back and see how I've been faithful. Look what I have done for you. If you're dealing with hurt or even if you're not, let me just ask you this question. You know, what has God done for you? And have you really stopped and just given some thought? Like, what has he done for you? It's incredible, right? We, we, we're at this time, this season, where we celebrate the coming of Christ the King, right? What has he done for you? Well, we're all born broken, right? And we know it. We talk with so many young adults, we have yet to meet one who says, No, I'm fine. Every single one of the folks that we meet and talk with, they all know through a series of questions they're broken. Life is not working how it should go. I need it fixed. And so they try things, and I'm sure they're not alone, like education. You know, if I just get that PhD, then, then that brokenness will go away. And as we begin to ask questions, well, how did that work with your bachelor's? Did, did it go away then? Well, no, I really needed my master's then. Well, you got your master's, did it go away then? No, but it will here. Others, if I just have my bank account at a certain level, then, then that, that, that emptiness, that brokenness inside will go away. Really? You used to think if you had $100 there that you were fine, then it was 1000 then it was 10000 Like, has it worked anyway? No. See, we know we're broken. We know it. And there's nothing that we can do to fix that brokenness. Because the price to fix it is the son's, son of God's life. And so we celebrate the fact that he freely chose to say, I love you so much. I love you so much that I'm entering into time and space and eternity. And here I am with a mission to pay the price to fix the brokenness. And it's, inc- it's truly incredible. Jesus comes, he lives a perfect life. He deserves to be always in this relationship with the Lord and all the rest of us, were just broken. But he says, no, I will take their place on the cross so that they can have a restored relationship and function as they're designed to function. What has he done for you? Incredible things. And then he didn't stay dead. He, he rose from the grave just to say, just in case you missed it, I was enough. I am sufficient. I'm still alive here to declare these things. I was thinking about um, last night. We were watching a really not good holiday movie, Christmas with the Cranks. You do not need to see it. Let me just tell you, you don't need to see the movie. It's just like you keep waiting. Will something happen? But there's one good scene at the very end. Spoiler alert. Because you're not going to see it anyway. The neighbor goes across the street to somebody who's always been kind of mean and, and evil towards him. He's had a change of heart and he basically comes and he has this this vacation of a packet full of plane tickets and cruise tickets. And he says, I want to give this to you. The guy's like, no, I can't take that. Can we pay you for it? No. And he keeps trying to go around and around. And finally he says, you're you're making this too complex. This is not that hard. It's very simple. You just need to take it. Say thank you. That's the gospel message. See, Jesus came and he he lived this perfect life to fix our brokenness, but he doesn't say, give me more money. He doesn't say, clean up your act. He says, no, just believe in my son, Jesus Christ, that he alone will fix your brokenness. You don't have to understand how everything's going to work. Just say, thank you. I trust you. That's incredible. Truly incredible. Outside of that, though, if there were an outside of that, but it's kind of alongside, what else has he done? I mean, have you ever really just stopped and thought about, in Christ, these things that are absolutely 100% true of you? Have you just taken some time? This is what he has done. He's made you forgiven. He's made you a new creation. He's freed you from the power of sin. Sin is a choice. You don't have to sit there and say, oh, it's a foregone conclusion. No. He has done incredible things. He has given you incredible things. You are fully loved. Oh, that we need to hear that and understand that. Have you ever stopped and just pondered? You were absolutely loved. He's made you blameless, complete. He's given you eternal life. He's called you a child of God. Chosen, clean. He's done great things. When the hurts hit, he's like, hey, remember your position. When the hurts hit, also remember what I've done. Just remember. Look back. But he continues here. He says, don't just look back, but look forward. Now, I will make you as famous as the great men of the earth. I will establish a place for my people. I will give you relief from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that he himself will build a dynastic house for you. David, you wanted to build a house for me? Man, I got news for you. I'm going to build something for you. And it's far, far greater. He continues with his promises, right? He just keeps going on. When the time comes for you to die, I will rise up your descendants, one of your own sons to succeed you and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name and I will make his dynasty permanent. I mean, it's incredible. These things that he's just lavishing on David and just saying, look at these things, the promises that I am making. Let me ask you this question. Was God faithful to those promises? Absolutely. Absolutely you were to look here in Luke chapter 1, 31, 33, a little over a thousand years later, Gabriel is down. He's already had a conversation with Zachariah. He's going to have a conversation with Joseph. He's going to show up and have a conversation with with the shepherds, um, with a lot of his buddies. But he's here with Mary, and he says, listen, Mary, you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Was he faithful? Absolutely. We have the luxury of being able to look back and say, yeah. Was his timing what David maybe thought? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if David's thinking like, oh, it's going to be a thousand years later. I don't know. But it's on his timetable, not ours. He's asking, will you count my promises as true?" got me thinking a little bit about what has he promised us. He has promised a secure future. I mean, that's just totally incredible when you think about it. Everything else is is so easily lost, it seems like, but not this. That our future is absolutely secure. There is nothing we're able to do to lose that. And man, the peace that comes with that, especially when you begin to think, I mean, we meet, again, with folks who sit there and they run so hard in a direction to try to be offensive to God, and yet he still pursues them, which goes right to the next one. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You're never alone. Incredible promise. And he continues, right? He, he doesn't just stop there. He just keeps it going. Because we know that as eternity, when we step a, the other side of eternity, that that goes on a lot longer than what's here. And there'll be a place with no hurt, no fears, no, no tears, no death. Incredible promises. Is he faithful? Absolutely. And so, in this time when, when hurt comes, like if you're sitting there like me, I would be sitting there going, Well, Todd, all you're talking about in the middle of these hurts is for me to look at what God is doing. And bingo, that's it. If we can get our minds off of ourselves and on to Him, even in the middle of, of hurting times, we begin to see glimmers of hope. Pathway that's laid out there and embrace our position. We look at His work in our past and His promises for our future. I just want to. Look really quick at how did David respond? I mean, just again, snap, step back into the scene. David had his whole night to think about, like, "Yeah, I'm going to build this house." And then Nathan just showed up and says, "No, you're not." What does David go and do? goes to the house of the Lord, and he just sits. Beautiful. We don't know if he's going to have a temper tantrum. We don't know if he's going to start throwing things around. We don't know what David's going to do. But we know that in the middle of this time, like I thought it was going to be this, but it's going like this. I don't know. He comes and just sits before the Lord. And what's beautiful is he comes in, sits before the Lord, 718. And if you were to read his response 10 times, every time that he refers to himself, he never says, I the king say, I the king say. He says every single time, your servant, your servant. You're in charge. I'm not. I I wanted to build you a, a house of cedar. You have different plans. You're in charge. I'm not. I I accept my position. Every time he talks about himself, that's just that's incredible. But he did not stop there. He continues. He, he tells to God, Who am I, O Lord God? I and mean, what is my family that you should that you should have brought me to this point? He understands it's not by my might and my strength that he navigated all this way. He understands, God, you're right. You've been so faithful in the past. He continues. And you didn't stop there. No, no. You've also spoken about the future of your servant's family. For the sake of your promise and according to your purpose, you have done this great thing. Isn't it just beautiful? David sits there and just says, okay, I'm embracing my position. I, you are faithful in the past, and I trust your promises in the future. And what does that result in for him? Does he come out like, oh. Now he comes out and he begins to read. He goes out and he begins to conquer different areas and when they, when they uh, gather the loot, they gather the riches, what does he do? He dedicates them to the Lord. He says, my position is not to build, my son's is, and so I'm going to prepare. That's, that's what God has for me. It's not what I expected, but I'm going to embrace it. As a matter of fact, uh, in First Chronicles 28, verse 2, David gathers around a, a bunch of folks and he's talking to Solomon. He says, King David rose to his feet and said, listen to me, my brothers and my people. And I wanted to build a temple where the Ark of the Lord's Covenant could be placed as the footstool for our God. That's what I wanted to do, but God had different plans. I don't know what your translation reads here. Um, It probably doesn't read this. And I was really upset and mad, so I went and had a pity party because his plans were different from mine. No, he says, no, I, I have made preparations for the building. I embraced my position. I made preparations for the building there was purpose and there was hope I find it just really amazing I'm, I'm, a, I'm a visual guy that's just how I'm wired a visual learner and disappointments or hurts they hit and kind of dump them over this place of man will I embrace my position will I look at what God has done or will, will I look then at what God will do very abnormal because the natural thing is to say no no I'm going to take this hurt, I'm going to dump it the other direction. I'm going to elevate my position. I want to look at my loss. Every conversation I have with people, I want to tell them about how I have been hurt, how I have been wounded, and how life is not fair, and on and on and on. It's all about me, 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 me. And then look how this loss is going to impact the rest of my life. I can't do anything ever the rest of the time. I just live in depression the entire time of my life because it's all about me. Thoughts on us don't lead us to a really great place, and so God is calling us to a higher place. I think it's truly a beautiful thing. Well, at Junction, we always try to have a challenge. We always try to give you a one or two or three options like, hey, okay, so here we are. We just sat there and we like, yes, some of us have these mixed emotions coming into the holidays. Some of us just have hurts at different times throughout the year. And so what are we going to do with that? We all have intentional time of rest that's coming up. It's a God-given time of rest. And I just want to challenge us. Can we be intentional with that time? Can we say, hey, this is, I'm going to acknowledge the 25th. This is a gift from you, God. And so I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to set aside five minutes. I'm going to set aside 10 minutes, 30 minutes. I don't, I don't know what that is. But I'm going to choose during this time of God-given rest just to stop, and I'm going to just go, wow, you're God and I'm not. Maybe I'm going to look back and just go, God, how have you been faithful? Let's just show me the different ways that you've been writing an incredible story in my life. Or maybe I'm going to spend some time just thinking about, like, God, what are some of the things that you have, have promised to me? Let me just spend some time, intentional time, just thinking on, wow, Really? That's my future? Or maybe you're right there in the middle, middle of the hurts, and I just want to challenge you, man. Just reject passivity, which says, put it in the red bucket. Instead, say, you know what? Let me just pause for a moment. Let me just pause and embrace my position. Let me just think about his faithfulness in my past, and, and let me just think about his promises for the future. Let me just, God, I trust you with this. This is a way that I'm showing you that I trust you with this hurt and this disappointment. And so we challenge every single week. It's the same thing if we had a bunch of Junction folks, I'd have them shout it out, but I won't. Um, basically, share God's work in your life with other people. Because God's doing some stuff. And so often we're like, well, this is just private. It's just personal. But God's writing that story. He's doing great things. and He desires for us to really declare those great things with the world around us. Or maybe you're not at a place where you're like, I, I don't even know if I could articulate it well. Then I might challenge you as you're sharing with others. Maybe you would just go to your family, and as you're having these conversations with folks, you might just say, hey, no, this is kind of weird, but I'm just wondering, this next year that's coming up, how specifically can I be praying for you? You're willing to speak up about things of faith. We do it uh, at, at, at restaurants oftentimes. I'll do it when I meet with guys. I'll, I'll just tell the waiter or waitress, hey, we're going to pray before our meal. Is it okay? Is there anything we could pray for you? And I'm amazed the number of times that people just unload the entirety of their story. <laughs> and it's, it's awesome and it's beautiful, but it's pretty funny too because they're always like, I'm so sorry. I, I, I've just told you more about my life than I have told anybody here that I've known for like the last three years. I am so sorry. Like, Don't be sorry. Thank you for entrusting. We have a great God. Yes, this holiday season may carry a mixture of emotions. But God wants to connect with us in the middle of that. He has given us a way. His name is Jesus. I want to challenge us to get our eyes and our minds off of ourselves and onto him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, you know you know me. You know times that I run after things that you never asked of me, the times that I make those things more important than what they really are. Father, you've forgiven me for each and every one of those, which is so beautiful. so hard at times to accept. Father, I just pray for this this next week as we all enter into just different things. Maybe we're interacting with family we haven't seen for a long time, and there might be tensions that rise up. Lord, I I just pray that as we engage in each of those conversations, Lord, that we would never forget the fact that you're with us. Pray that we would always be willing to spend some time of just embracing our position. We would be willing to look to your faithfulness in the past. Praise you for the promises for the future. Father, we love you and we thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Y'all have a very, very Merry Christmas.